0: What's up, people? What's up, people? It is us. We back with a number episode. We actually had episode nine. Man, time flies, boys. Uh, and I, we have a dope, dope show here for y'all today. I've been super geeked about this show for the last two weeks. We have some of our amazing sisters of the D9 that's going to be on with us today. So we're just going to do a quick check-in of the AOS brothers, and then we're going to really like give the floor over to these sisters to talk about you know what they're doing in education. So, uh, ball Dave, how's y'all week, man?
1: Good, good. You know, we uh, started off with a, a day off just because how it fell in the schedule on Monday. Um, but, you know, we're, we're getting back at it school-wise. Um, I'm good. Family's good. Celebrated my birthday last week. So, you know, just happy to survive another year.
0: Happy birthday, bro. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, brother. Thank man, you. I'm good,
2: man. But like the shirt said, man, if God can get us through 2020, he can get us through anything. So I'm feeling good. I didn't wake up this morning with Deja Vu uh, four years ago where I thought we was going to have the first female president. And then I wake up and there's balloons falling and Trump is walking. I'm like, well, they don't give balloons to the loser. Why this man got balloons falling? So, you know, all is good, man. But yeah, school's good. Family's good. We had Election Day off. So it was a good little R&R yesterday um, and ready to to get on this show. I'm gonna be on my best behavior tonight. <laughs>
0: So uh, and just me, like I said, it's always a good week for me whenever I get to kick it with my brother. So uh, I don't know if y'all was on social media, but you've seen the uh, principal's appreciation my staff threw for me last week. That was super dope. So uh, I'm, on, I'm on cloud nine still. So that's all I'm going to say. So we are going to turn it over to these ladies and give them a chance to kind of just uh, tell a little bit about themselves, their background, um, their journey in education. So we're going to start with, you know, the top and work our way down to the finer women last. So uh, Ms. Watson, you on the floor first. So just tell us a little bit about who you are, what your current role is, and kind of a little bit about your journey in education.
3: Yeah, so first I'd like to thank you all for having me on the show. My name is Shade Watson and I am currently an assistant principal at Kip Indy College Prep Middle School um, on the east side of Indianapolis. I started my teaching career at um, Tinley Collegiate Academy. I'm actually um, an alumna of Tinley and so I got to go back home and, and serve the young ladies at Tinley Collegiate. I did that for Four years. So I taught for four years. Um, I became an administrator my fifth year at Timley Collegiate. And then for the past three years, I've been at KIPP as an assistant principal. So
0: um,
3: that's just my educational background in a
0: nutshell. Can you just go real quick, give us a little bit of demographics about the school that you're currently at?
3: Yes. So um, the school that I am currently at is off of 30th and Orchard. We serve predominantly... Um, African-American students in the Martindale-Brightwood area. And so I work at a middle school. So it's six through eight, but the building that um, our middle school is in, we share with our elementary. So the building itself
0: is K through eight, but my specific school is six through eight. All right. Shout out to the middle school. I just told somebody today, either you middle school or you ain't. Ain't no in-between. So, nope.
2: <laughs> uh, hey, 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 Doc, real quick, man, real quick. So, something I got to share, man. Sade's the reason I okay. met Tinley. She... Okay. Was the one that introduced me to uh, our our former Boston CEO, who's the one that kind of helped groomed us, and so she's the reason I met Timmy, man. If it wouldn't been for her, man, I might still be in a township school
0: drowning. So, so, so in a way, Watson, you you like played a big role. AOS even being here today, like pretty much, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we got to get you some swag. We got to get you some swag. Yes. So.
1: Shout to Uh
0: Next up, we got a- another Doc on the on the show, so it's so good to finally have somebody else that got them letters uh, because our producer ain't got here yet. But go ahead, Doc. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Messy, Messy.
4: Hello, I'm Dr. Net Franklin. I am actually a social worker. Um, unlike um, you all, I am not a principal, nor have I taught in um, a school. I have um, been a parent family specialist for an alternative ed program, but I um, teach higher ed. I've been teaching since 1999 walking through the numbers. And um, I'm very passionate about my profession. I'm very passionate that I get the opportunity to give back to my students uh, who um, have um, sometimes been very challenging. And I had got my PhD in education administration. The reason I did that is because um, part of uh, what we do is that if we're not competent in an area that we get to be. And so at the time of No Child Left Behind, we were looking at the students that we're getting in the classroom and we were wondering, you know, how are we going to really work with these students um, when they're being taught to the test. And so um, I decided that I wanted to engage with principal- principals who are only principals and those who are superintendents to see how that what they thought about the whole process. It was very interesting. I had a great mentor um, who um, allowed me to travel Uh, Across the country and even into Australia for our educational cultural tour to look at um, the school systems um, and uh, to go to Canada and um, just really look at that we weren't the only ones having the same type of problems whether it was learning or social injustices. So um, that's um, mostly what I do now. Is that I'm deeply into service and. fighting for social injustices
0: so yeah we we, we definitely uh, appreciate all the years of service that you put in and uh led the way so uh and mr Barr, you want to give a little bit of background about dr franklin and your connection
1: yeah so uh dr franklin is someone that is very special to me um i have known her my entire 41 years uh she is my mom's big sister And uh, really has been a a leader in our family and a model for me. Um, One of the reasons why I aspire to have uh, those letters at the front of my name uh, one day as well. So
0: Okay. And certainly last but not least, we're going to have to find a woman come step through for us. So Sister Rock, the floor is yours. Give us a little bit about who you are and your background, please.
5: Definitely. First, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, I am Keisha Rock, uh, originally from Brooklyn, New York, um, and I'm currently a principal at a K-12 charter school in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I started my education career as a counselor, actually, in middle school. Like you say, either you're middle school or you're not. And uh, it definitely takes a lot to be in middle school. Um, I've also been an assistant principal uh, here in North Carolina for eight years, as well as a instructional vice principal in Maryland for a few years before I took on the position that I'm in right now. That's what's
0: up. And you, you represent who now again? Can we just you know get you to say that for us, please?
5: The final women of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated.
0: Blue fire. Uh So uh, let's just. This show's about showing love, man. We're not about to compete. But I love all of you, though. <laughs> I, hey, we got mad love. I just got to get that out one time, one time. Right. But so let's get into our first topic. So basically, the first topic is um, the three of us came together on a show in all seriousness that Unc put on, and really we were talking about the you know the struggles of being a black male leader. And from the evolution of that, so the genesis of that show, you know, we always at one some point wanted to bring on some sisters to talk about because the struggles that you face are a lot different. than us. So I would like each one of y'all and we're going to um, start tar- this time with you, Doc, um, with kind of what are some things that you face, some adversities or some struggles that you have faced as you come along in your educational journey and how you've overcome those as a black woman? Well, well
4: one thing I'll have to tell you that um, it wasn't until I was um, getting my masters at the age of when I was in my thirties was the first time I had any experience with having a teacher of color. And so that with that is that I saw some of the um, adversities they were going through and then I experienced them myself and had an opportunity to talk about them. It certainly is the perception of students whether, what um, regardless of if they were white, Latino, or Black, and how they look at Black professors, female professors, and how not only were females, regardless of who they were, were not highly respected as our male colleagues, but even worse is how they looked at African-American female professors, as if, You know, we didn't know what we were talking about or they knew more than what we did. And so that's been really a struggle and a challenge for me because when you don't get the support from your program director or your dean to help to alleviate some of these problems, that that you just kind of like go along with it and just um, try to coddle the students, make sure the students get what they want, but not having support for the um, faculty. So for all my female colleagues, regardless of whether we were Black, white, Asian, or whatever, that is truly a struggle in higher ed that many of us face.
0: Definitely that higher, higher ed piece is definitely needed to have people who that that's been there, know that support, and I just know as I went through my doctoral program, not having someone that looked like me that you know understood the struggles I was facing as not just a black man but a black person in general, trying to get research done and some run into some of the barriers of working with schools. And my dissertation was actually a pol- state policy analysis and talking to people at state departments and not knowing how to, you know, they want, didn't want to work with you and not having a connection to get somebody to go in, you know, with that power. So we appreciate you being at that level and kind of doing that work for us at that level. So though, um. So, Ro, you want to go next? Tell us a little bit about the struggles that you faced a little bit.
5: Uh, sure. Um, and they, there have been many. Uh, but the one that stands out to me the most is I would call it being pigeonholed, you know, as a black woman. And, you know, you're seen as a strong woman. Um, they're like, you know, when I was working in schools, even as an assistant principal, they would say, well, you know, you're really good at working with our black kids. But what they didn't realize is that I was really good at working with all the kids. But when you get pigeonholed into a certain area or they think that you're good in that area, they want to leave you there rather than allowing you to grow and branch out into other areas of education so that you can continue to expand. And that's one thing I am. I'm a lifelong learner. So if I do something well, give me something that I don't do well so I can learn that as well. Um, So that was definitely a struggle for me coming through, coming through the ranks because they saw me as, well, you know, you can take care of our black kids. No, I can take care of all the kids because that's where my education lies. And it was definitely a struggle um, trying to show them that. And uh, in addition to kind of just being the last person heard sometimes you know, we we know what you're going to say. Or if I come across a little bit assertive in what I'm trying to get the point and get across, I then become the angry black woman, rather than being the educated woman trying to get my point across. So those are some of the struggles that I've um, encountered to the point where I even have to leave one county to go into another for a kind of a fresh start, because I just felt like as black women, we weren't appreciated as we were should have been in the county that I was in. Luckily, I was able to overcome that, and the people I work with still call me and ask me questions today, which lends to some of my strengths, thank goodness, but it was definitely a struggle at the time.
0: So you talked a little bit about the struggles that you've kind of faced kind of getting here today, but sitting in the seat that you sit now, and I want you to kind of start it, and we're going to segue into Ms. Watson and to kind of carry on that. What are some of the struggles you that you fit, deal with sitting in that seat today with your staff that you interact with?
5: To be honest with you, um, other Black women. I uh, I have a I have a small school. I only have a staff of maybe about 23 teachers, and I like it because I can be very one-on-one. You know, we have coaching sessions. We do, you know, but a lot of the times the the biggest challenge I have is other black women questioning my. Um, level of authority in what I do. So a lot of times when I want to implement something or change something, I have to give them the data and the the the, the numbers and everything behind it, rather than, than just taking my word for it. Um, so that's definitely has been a struggle for the most part, wherein as uh, and even in the area that I'm in, people seeing me in the role that I'm in, when they see me, they'll say, well, you know, I'd like to talk to the principal. Well, sir, I am the principal. And they want to be like, oh, OK. Or if I open my mouth, they want to say, oh, well, you sound so educated, but I don't know what they expect. They didn't give me this role because I'm cute. They gave me because I actually know what it is that I'm doing. So sometimes people don't value the the role or the title behind your name because of the way that you look. Or they value it differently once they see you in person after they talk to you on the phone.
0: Miss Watts, you want to go ahead and jump in for us?
3: Yes. When I think about this question, I honestly think, especially in like my first year of being an administrator, it was me feeling like I was being judged because of my age. And so my first year as an administrator, I was 25, 26 years old. And, um, I got that position because there were other pe- there were people who saw something in me and I was like, this is where you need to be. But I, I, in inner I always felt like there was a battle between like parents trusting me because of my age and especially because like I was an alumna of the school. And so some of those parents who had like kids when I was in school or like nephews or nieces who knew my face, I was always still like that kid to them. Um, and so sometimes I felt like my expertise was not taken seriously because of my age and I had to like fight that. I feel like my whole first year with parents and it's just like, I really do know what I'm talking about. Like I, I went to school for this. Like I love these kids. Like this is, this is my lane. And like, if you could just trust me in this lane, we can get so much more done. But I just think because I was someone who was younger and became an administrator when people don't necessarily think a 25 or 26 year old should be an administrator. That's something that I had to fight against a lot.
2: Man, that was a man. That was, that was a power. I think I can definitely, uh, obviously, relate to the age one, but that one about the black women—you don't hear that too often, and that was that's heavy, right? Not knowing that it, be, being a black male, right? We get that from black men, right? Dudes, hey, no dudes. And you, I didn't, I didn't expect to hear that, you know, from happening from black women. So, um, definitely, definitely was an eye opener to hear that. So, my my question is. If if you're a pre K through 12, and Doc, you can talk about it too. Like, what is the current model of your school? Is it in person? Is it hybrid? Is it virtual? And if you are like virtual right now, what is the plan to bring kids back? If there is a plan, anytime soon to bring kids back. And so we'll start um, with the order that we did the opening. So Shadi, I go with I go with you first. Like, what's the current model? Uh, kind of describe it and what it's been like this school year.
3: So our current model is hybrid. We started off the school year fully virtual and this is week four, I want to say that we're in our hybrid model. Um, and so we have uh, a through N. I want to say come Monday, Tuesday, everybody's virtual Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday, the end of the alphabet come. Um, and I definitely do think that it's beneficial, because we did see struggles with students completing work when it was all virtual and not necessarily because they weren't motivated to but a lot of our students were honestly they were they were the parents when their parents were at work to their younger siblings they were helping take care of their grandparents or you know supporting their family in different ways while they were home full-time and so their full attention couldn't be on school and so now that we do have some of these students in the building with us um, on the days that they're in there we have seen a progress in like mastery of skills Um, of course it's not where we want it to be because we don't have all of our babies in our building 100% 100% of the time, um, but I definitely do think for us personally that it's going as best as it can, and it, we're definitely seeing more improvement than we did when all of our students were virtual. And, and just a follow-up, both and all three, you can touch on How's
2: attendance been? Like, how's your model impacted attendance um, in your school compared, compared to last year or just in general?
3: So I think when we were full virtual, it was easier because teach, like, we weren't live teaching on on like Zoom, our teachers were recording videos and then having like Zoom office hours to support students. And so that freed up their time a little bit to like make those phone calls if they see students aren't working and like kind of do that like hounding to make, cause we know we had to do it because they're not with us. Um, but now that we are in virtual learning, I think that we're getting our our groove back and our strive back with getting attendance back up. So I wanna say like not last week, we had like hit over 90% every single day um but we are like continuing to work on making sure that our students understand that even if you you went to school with us on monday and tuesday you still have work to do wednesday thursday and friday so that doesn't mean that you've done all your work monday and tuesday so i think like that's the struggle that we're we're working against now is like kids think that once i do my work in the building i'm done and it's like no you gotta continue to work when you're online friends
2: gotcha uh doc same question for you um current model um virtual hybrid in person and then just have you seen student attendance and things like that okay,
4: okay. so we are hybrid remote and some uh, and some online. I do um, hybrid and remote only because I have to take of my age and because I do have asthma and I did have a student that did test positive so we had to go into um, quarantine for um, for 10 days. And attendance is not well. Um, Students are not doing very well at all having to attend either um, a remote class or even a hybrid class. And uh, so I don't know how they're going to address these issues. I haven't really heard anybody talk about um, how they're going to address the issues. But unfortunately, we're going to be going back to this model um, when we go back in uh, February. We did not have any breaks this. Semester, we're not having any breaks next semester. So when we go back in February, we're going to go straight through until uh, May. My concern is is losing some students, especially those students who really do need face to face and need to have the opportunity to um, see a professor. Because many of our professors are not on campus. I myself, who always have had an open door policy for out office hours, now have. Um, appointments um only as scheduled as students need them. So I've even seen um a break in attendance of even students um coming in asking for help. Uh, so this is a really concern for me, especially for my program because it is a social work program and our students should be um, still able to contact us. Um, when they need and not by making an appointment or having Zoom appointments and so forth. So it's a real concern for me um, that this is happening and that the attendance is, is, is low and um, started off strong. But as you know, with some of your own students is that they have issues at home and other emotional types of issues that need to be addressed. And if they're not in front of us, we're not able to see some of the things that are happening to them emotionally. And some of them have lost uh, family members. And um, just yesterday I had a student who lost a very good friend who was another student who took his life. And so those kinds of issues is what we're dealing with, is that how do we um, help our students to be successful as they possibly can if we're not there on campus?
2: So, Don, let me ask you. So it's a social work program. Mm-hmm. Are you also trying to teach your students that, you know, by the, when they graduate, right? Social work, it may be a virtual thing as well. So mm-hmm. you're having to also mm-hmm. teach right. them now mm-hmm. how to do social work right. virtually while yeah. you're Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that's,
4: that's, okay. that's a big thing is it? because this is going to change the way we all, all work Absolutely. in education. And Mm. that I've told them even in their practice that, you know, tell them medical um, communication is going Mm. on. And it had started before this, but now it really is put in place. So it's going to change the way we practice and the way Mm. they practice. And I tell them that one of the things is, as I gave them a lecture on Monday, is that you're talking about, well, you can't get your assignments in or this is going on. I said, this is true social work. <laughs> you're, gonna have, you're, you're gonna have to adapt to this, yeah. and if you think that you can't, you might think about another major or another career. Because
2: yeah. this is it. No, that's, that's true. That man, that's that's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. So, Miss um, Miss Rock. So, same question. Like, what's the model? Um, talk about attendance, and just talk about any struggles. If, if something outside of attendance has impeded, you know, your model and how your school year is gone.
5: Okay. Um, Well, as of right now, we are still completely virtual. Um, Being a charter school, the decision, the buck stops with me. So I decide whenever they come back and I'm really not looking at it until January. I'm actually going to use the major school system as a kind of a guinea pig. They are bringing kids back in fully. They brought in elementary full on with no social distancing as of this week. I want to see how they do it and what they do well and what they don't do well before I put my kids at risk and my teachers. So I'm thinking, um, actually, in January, when we do come back, we're possibly going to do the hybrid model where high schoolers come in two days a week, middle schoolers come in two days a week, because I have a 6 through 12, so I've got to figure out how to gauge that. But we're working on our reentry plan now if it if it does come into existence. Um, yes, attendance is an issue. Um, I have had to actually implement uh, attendance contracts, meet with kids. I do home visits. Yes, I do do home visits. I will come knock on the door and let the parents know that I'm coming um, because a lot of the times I deal with um, the parents who still have the same expectation that you're the educator, so it's your job to educate my kid. I can't get them online. And I think that's a lot what we what I run into at, at the school. the The parents are expecting us to fix their child remotely rather than You know, they're acting like they're still in the building and we're still responsible. We can put our thumb on them like we want to, but Mm -hmm. they don't, we struggle with them being at home. Get your child out the bed, make sure that they get online. I've had to do parent meetings where I'm teaching them how to support their kids. Get your child up, take away their phone. Don't let them pick up the phone until they've done their work. So in addition to the attendance, that is definitely probably one of the biggest things trying to teach these parents how to help us deal with their child holistically it ch- mm-hmm. just can't be us because we're not in the we're not in front of their kids yeah guys to step up get your kids out of bed get them ready for school and don't expect the educators to be able to do it because my teachers need to teach
2: yeah so and, and we're, to follow up with that you said the buck stops with you so I what's the conversation been like with people maybe here saying you know we want our kids back in school and then trying to balance the teacher so with that decision how do you manage the stakeholders? Um, and what they're, what they want, and what their needs, and things like that.
5: Well, believe it or not, um, most of the parents are on board. Mm. Um, and uh, I know that we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, parent supports and things that we put in place. But I've mm-hmm. definitely put, you know, I've got a parent group that we meet once a month where we're getting together and sharing ideas and things out there. I have parents who are volunteering to let other parents drop their kids off at their house because we give out laptops to all the students so they have a way mm. to work. So it's a the support system right now, um, but whenever I put it out there that the numbers in our state are are skyrocketing, like nobody's business, mm-hmm. the the schools who are hybrid are you know fully um, in, in class, every time somebody tests positive, they've got to go home for seven days, and that type of transition for students is not good. That mm-hmm. kind of transition, you know, I I have reasoning to support why I'm doing what I'm doing, and when they hear it, they may not agree, but they
2: understand. Awesome, awesome. Bob, so you brother. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I mean, uh, Miss Watson, you hit on our next topic, really. You know, we're looking at you know what you're doing to support. We are in unprecedented times, and you know, I don't know how many times you hear that type that phrase, but we've never been in a situation where we have to have three or two different models of how we educate our students in the same building. And so, you know, you hit on it a little bit about. You know the supports that you put in place, but I would love to hear from uh, Sade, Dr. Franklin, about how are you really explicitly focusing on supporting your students, whether it's technology. Uh, I think uh, Miss Toya put a question in the comments on Facebook about you know the di- digital divide, and I'm sure that that is probably a piece of the attendance issues that you're seeing because i know i know that i'm i'm seeing it uh at at my school so do you mind talking a little bit about um those supports that you're trying to provide for your students and families
3: yeah so we sent each student home with a chromebook so each one of our students is one-to-one right now Um, and then when we think about like supporting our staff So at the beginning, we were like, okay, there are a lot of different options that we can do right now. What's an option that's gonna be streamlined for not only students, but teachers, regardless of what happens. And so we kind of came up with what we call like a single play playbook. And it's basically how our teachers are teaching the students. And so it's, they're creating instructional videos and then they're being there for support. And so it's like, if you're at home, you can get the instructional video. If you're at school, you can get the instructional video. So there's equity in what students are learning. Of course, if you're at school, there's going to be a little bit of differentiation because teachers are going to want to like embed live and embed like hooks for lessons and everything else like that. But making sure that like we did not change the planning expectations for staff, I think eased their minds about everything. Cause it wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to expect you to, to plan a live lesson and a virtual lesson and do this is like one lesson for everyone. And then if you want to differentiate how you um, implement that lesson for in person students, that's fine. So I think that, um, our staff felt supported in that. And then I also like, we have an amazing social worker at our school, shout out um, Sarah Ash. So she has done a lot of help with meeting families where they are, making sure that our families have support, making sure they have food, making sure like right now we're in the thick of uh, Christmas support. So like who, which which one of our families like, do we know is gonna need that? And let's start working on that early. Um, And then we also have like an amazing partnership with the Edna Martin Christian Center. And they have gone like, above and beyond to support our families, to support our students. We've done like before the election, we did voter drives. We, it was just a lot of things that we did to not only make like staff feel comfortable, but also to like connect with the community and to make sure that like we were serving the whole student and um, thinking about that as well. And I think one thing for teachers that I had to notice is like we had to address that this is different because I saw a lot of teachers who, they were just stressed out because they're like, I'm not, I feel bad because I'm not giving the students everything that I feel like I need to give them. And I don't know how to change it. And then you just kind of have to call a spade a spade, explain the time that we're in and then just like think through, okay, so what are some things that you feel like we can do in order to um, help relieve some of the stress you're having, but to also let teachers know that like we can only do so much in the time that we're in right now and the, with everything that we have. So don't beat up on yourself about that. And you kind of have to like lead through love and lead through like family feel, that's my thing. If I if I work at a place that does not feel like, a, like this is my family, I don't wanna be there. Um, and so I do feel like we've, le- we've like leaned on our team and family, cause that's a big KIPP thing, team and family, um, just to make sure that everyone is comfortable, everyone is learning and we're doing what's in the best interest of our students.
1: Definitely appreciate that, that feeling of, of family, because we're not going to get through this on our own. And so creating that environment where everyone feels like they have a role, they have a part and that, you know, just like you said, us as educators, we we have a high level of expectations for ourselves. And and that's difficult to uh, to overcome when you can't control all the variables like you're used to in the classroom at, uh, when we do school as, as normal. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Franklin, how about you? Uh, as a social worker, how are you supporting your students?
4: Well, as I tell my students all the time, there is nothing that we could do by ourselves. We always have to work together. And um, so I'm glad to see that you are uh, a good example of uh, bringing your team together. Well, what's unique about this time for our community, which is the college community, which is our students, is that because of the pandemic, many of my placements, especially the hospitals and nursing homes, were not able to um, have students at their agency. So I was lucky enough to place students in Res Life, in the um, Diversity and Inclusion Office, and also at the ComSense Center. So it's really given the students a really, good sense that here i'm helping other students through all of this in class because they had their mindset on oh i'm going to do clinical work and i'm going to do face-to-face and here when you talk about um, making changes is they're actually trying to improve the success of their uh classmates the rest of the uh, the student population on campus so that is really one of the things that i'm very proud of to see them work and think of ways, workshops and educational um, opportunities to help their um, fellow peers through this um, organiza- this time. And in the organization part of it, um, in Res Life, they've uh, been given um, books lists to read um, about being anti-racist. And they had to choose a book by a person of color to read and report back to the Res Life Director, well, how are you going to use this to help develop some of the programs and projects and workshops that you want to do? So um, I'm really happy to say that Being able to support my students in this way and to encourage them in their um, perspective um, practicums, especially on campus, has really given me the opportunity to say, this is how we serve. This is what we do. We have um, our code of ethics. Says we not only have a responsibility to our clients, but we also have a responsibility to our colleagues, to our profession, and the society as a whole. And you all are learning exactly how to do that right now.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, Doc, you're up. You got the next question? Yeah.
0: So um, a couple of weeks ago, we did a show um, around mentorship. Um, and it, it, it really, you know, drove home. We did a Twitter chat about it. There was a blog post that I did about it. So, you know, we want you to talk about just the mentors and that have been a part of your journey that's got you to where you got kind of, this is your chance to kind of give those people their roses while they're still here, if they're still here with us. So um, we'll start with you, Soro.
5: Okay. Um, so when I went to school, I, I didn't even go to school to be an educator. I was going to be a lawyer. Who knew? (laughs) Um, But uh, when I was at North Carolina Central University, HBCU, I ran into a beautiful woman by the name of um, Dr. Roland, Dr. Terry Roland. Um, And one day she just came to me uh, after I had graduated and she said, you know what, you have a, a great heart and people relate to you. You'd be good in counseling. And I was like, really? I never thought about that. But that's how I ended up getting my first master's in counseling. Um, And as I went through just watching other um, black females do the things that they do and admiring what they do, I would kind of just glean from them. You know, how did you do this? I'm a constant learner, how did you do that? Um, So between uh, Pastor Brenda Harrell and Dr. Roland, they really kind of just fed into my life and made me believe, led me to believe that I could be a leader for other people and a leader of change. and be honest with you. Just looking back at how they poured into my life, that's what makes me want to pour into everybody else's life and do for them what they did for me. So, just I just love uplifting every, other Black women. I think that if we work together, we could be all oh, that Black girl magic is just amazing. As long as we continue to support each other.
0: Shout out to Black Girl Magic, uh, Miss Watson. Who are some of the people that have helped you kind of along, along the way in your journey? I feel like I have a lot. Take, your time. Um, I Take your time. The floor I, is yours.
3: <laughs> I have to shout out um, my dad, Marcus Robinson. He was the one of the founders and CEOs of Tinley, um, and being, you know, a high schooler watching him lead because he started off as like principal, I was just astounded by like the relationships that he built. Like I remember sleeping under under the, um, front office desk because he was, you know, at work so late with students and parents and just supporting. And so I was like, you know, if I could be half the educator that he is, I'll be in a great place. So like definitely him. Um, I don't know if I said this at the beginning, but I was a special education teacher before I became an administrator. And so, um, and, uh, similar, to I was going to be a lawyer I was not I'm a sociology major I was going to be a lawyer I was not going to be a teacher but life happens and now here I am um but so in the special education realm I would definitely say like Nikia Douglas and Penny Gregory I I've learned everything I knew about sped from them just watching them them feeding into me and me like trying to mimic everything they were doing um when it comes to being like a strong black leader, I would say Kelly Marshall. She is no nonsense, unapologetically who she is. And she was like one of the first examples of a black leader that I felt like didn't have to tone down herself in order to truly be her and lead like a school with high expectations. So I learned a lot from her. And then finally, my principal now, Casey McLeod, is bomb. She like pours into me She sees in me what I don't see in myself. She is an amazing leader, not just from like relationships with staff, but like content knowledge and just showing how to like coach teachers. I learned everything I know about coaching from Kip um, and Relay. And so just those are kind of the people that come to the top of mind where it's like, these are people that I gleaned from. These are people that I tried to mimic. And these are people who, you know, are the reason that I am in the position that I'm in right now. Okay. Doc, you know, Okay,
4: well, I've had, I have also had many mentors, but probably my most favorite is I'll uh, call him Uncle Pete. He was also a mega sci fi and a wonderful, great teacher. Um, at his years, um, his 80, all of his 89 years, he was uh, a true example of an educator. Um, still, was very active in his fraternity until his health failed um, right before um, we lost him but he um, was just um, instrumental in me being the person I, I am when it comes to being an educator um, also that my undergraduate um, social work professors they mentored me they told me what path I would take they told me you know you go further because there will be a place for. Uh, women of color in higher ed, um, but mostly my PhD professor, um, my uh, dissertation advisor, actually, and my um, counselor when I was getting my PhD, although she was a white female, she um, was uh, her major was multicultural um, education. She had taught in New York City, but she um, also provided me to have the opportunity to sit with some of the most influential Black Educators in research. So to sit at a table with these individuals, of course, I was in awe. But to just and I still can't get over the fact that I could actually converse with these individuals. And I would ask them all the time, "Who reads our research besides us? Are teachers really getting our research? Are, you know, are administrators getting our research?" Is that um educational system are they really reading our research and are they using this and so that was always my my question is who's reading this research and then mostly i would say the women the five women who i did their oral history for my dissertation these black women were just phenomenal and i was trying to get everything i could from them and they were just pushing me, just saying, Don't you stop. You have to get, don't you stop. Everybody else that starts out on this path for um, a PhD, they stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. So those women also really encouraged me. So I just can't pinpoint one, but I've had some really great mentors throughout my life.
0: That's awesome. And that's
4: why I want to give back.
0: That's awesome. And we we do have one more topic. Before we get to that, I kind of want to do slide in a, another topic before we get to our final topic because this show is based on, you know, the fact that the three of us are brothers of, you know, Alpha, Omega, and Sigma. Um, so I do want to give you all a little bit of time to talk about what does your organization mean to you, you know, as a woman of you know, Alpha Kappa Alpha or a, de- a devastating diva or a woman, a finer woman. So we want to give you all a little bit of time to just talk about what your organization means to you and what your organization has done for you and your journey as well, just in life, not just in education. So we're going to start from the top. So we're going to give you the floor, Miss Watson, first.
3: Um, so I absolutely positively love my sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And when I think about like, what the sorority has done for me, It has definitely helped, like, polish me into a professional. I remember I was a little rough around the edges in undergrad. Um, I'm still kind of a straight shooter, but, like, anything would literally. If it came in my mind, it came out my mouth. Um, And there were definitely, like, graduate advisors that had to, like, pull me aside and be, like, you know, it's it's okay to have that opinion, but it doesn't always need to come out your mouth. Um, and so that, that's something that I learned, like, through the sorority in undergrad was just like, yes, I can have very strong opinions about things, but sometimes there's a time and a place to state them. And sometimes there's a way to state them um, that doesn't come across as uh, just me being abrasive. Um, I think another thing is just the connection and the sisterhood piece is so strong for me. I can call... Um, I can look through my directory, find an oh, administrator, call them right now, and I'm sure I can get whatever I needed if I had any questions, if I had needed any help. Um, when I was um, at Tenley, my sorority sisters would always show out for my kids. If it was an MLK day program, if it was donating snacks to kids, if it was whatever, they it was just like, oh, okay, I know what you're doing, and I know um, like the reason why you serve students, so I'm always going to be there. I'm always going to have your back. Um, and I have like i have two sisters one younger one older and so i didn't and my older sister is 16 years older than me so me being born we didn't really have that connection until i got became an adult and so just having that sisterhood helped has helped me tremendously um and then just like serving the community um i think when you're in undergrad i went to depaul university so if you know anything about depaul university in greencastle indiana um if you know anything about greencastle indiana That's all I need to say, very small in town. Um, But that being in my sorority helped me and pushed me to like be comfortable serving, no matter the demographic, no matter if I felt like, you know, these people supported me or not. It was just like, is this what's needed? you go out into the community and you do it because I definitely did not necessarily always feel supported as a black person in general in green castle, Indiana. Uh, but my sorority always pushed me to be better to serve the community and it doesn't matter what they look like. They don't necessarily have to look like you in order for you to serve them. And so, um, we do say service to all mankind. And I definitely do take that to heart because, um, I can't be me if I'm not serving everyone, if I'm being shy about who I want to serve or what I want to do. It's just that's not what God put us on this earth for. And So Alpha Kappa Alpha has helped me with that a lot. And I definitely love all my sororities and appreciate being able to be 10 years in the game. So, yeah.
0: All right. uh, Doc, can you talk about you know life as a devastating diva? And while you're doing it, also somebody in the comments asked, could you give your dissertation topic that you did?
4: Okay, first, my dissertation topic was um, going from professional aid to teacher. It was the oral history on five African-American women who um, participated in the CORE program. That was Career Opportunities Program of ERI. Um, the acronym was, or would say COP. But it was actually um, at the time when Johnson was the president, and he was known as the education president, he put in this program. And these women um, were in their 30s and 40s when they went back to school and um, to become educators. They were paraprofessionals and became teachers. Um, So I am proud to be a member of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated. Um, My family are Deltas and Qs. One, I talked about my uncle, one of our oldest um, relatives is a Delta and she's in her 80s. Um, Part of me being a social worker and says the public service certainly um, is uh, part of what who I am. It's one of our core values as a social worker. And then certainly the public service that deltas do but i'm very much uh, proud of being um, active in um, authority that really looks after our community um as um black feminists and this was our year was stolen from us for the um suffrage movement but i am proud to say that we all regardless of what sorority we belong to, that we were very much a part of the suffrage movement for women getting the right to vote. Sometimes we're shortchanged on that and people do not realize that we were very much part of that. And so my next research is really going to um, look at how we um, as sisters of the sororities um, did play an important part in the suffrage movement, especially during this time, where when it was very important for us to get out the boat. And I think people should know our role. All
0: right. So there's a reason why sometimes they don't let me run lead. So Sister Rock, we're going to introduce you and bring you to talk about the sisters this way. I said, my sorrow. Yes. you're looking good today. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us about being a finer oh woman for us real quick. <laughs>
2: they got chants. <checks>. Um, <laughs> Songs. <laughs>
5: and everything. <laughs> um, I am actually extremely proud to be a, a, a woman of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Um, just the support from moving from... Um, I've moved probably been in the past three states in the past five or six years and everywhere i go there's that connection you know you see some blue and white somewhere and it's like hey sorry what's going on and it's automatic what do you need um where'd you come from what kind of support do you need um even when i moved here to charlotte not too long ago you know um just reconnecting surprisingly with some people that I knew from undergrad. It's almost like we just stepped right back into the role that we were in. And I'm a I'm a servant, um usually a church servant. Um, but anywhere I go, even if I don't necessarily find a home church, I know that there's some uh there's a chapter out there doing some kind of work that I can give back because that's where I get my warm and fuzzies from, so to speak, you know, um the service. And be honest with you, that's all of us because a lot of the events that we do, we do it with all all the sororities. It's not just Zeta. Um, the whole find a womanhood thing has really helped me though. Um, I was somewhat like Miss Watson where it was what it was. And I said what I said, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I realized, you know, over time and age, in the 20 years I've been as Zeta that, you know, I've got to carry myself with a certain level of refinement and, you know, hold myself to a certain standard, especially if I'm going to be a role model for somebody else coming through the ranks. So it really helped me to refine the things I say, think about the things before I said them. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm still going to say it. Uh, I'm just going to put a little polish on it, you know, a little find a woman, make it all nice and shiny and pretty for them. Um, but it, it has definitely helped to be a part of a sisterhood that where I can go if I need support in the school where I'm working, I can reach out to my sorrows and, like, look, I'm trying to do this. Who around here can help? And look at the kind of volunteer, the kind of people that just want to step up, the people who want to give me ideas. Because um, they know I'm always open to ideas. It's not always just about what I want, because I may not think about everything. But the level of support that you get from a sisterhood is just absolutely amazing. And it really can't compare to much else.
0: And just got to you know, kind of just put a bow on this whole piece that we just did this topic that because um, for, for me, the D9 represents one component of black excellence. And I know there's six of us on here. Um, so there's three other organizations that we do want to run this back and make sure we give them a chance to get on there. One of them, it might be hard to find somebody, but definitely the S.E. Rose and the Capas. We want to make sure that we see uh, uh, oh, wow. the floor is yours, bro.
2: <laughs> ma- ma- all right. Messy. So look, we gonna. This is going to be like a whole group discussion. Um, we've got about 10 minutes left, but real quick, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Don't forget, uh, AOS Podcast, follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube page, hit us up on Apple Podcasts, numbers are going up. But as you know, we're in the middle or the end of an election, and as reported by the eight black hands political arm, uh, Joe Biden uh, secured Michigan and is at 264, which plus him six away from the presidency, so we're waiting on Nevada to kind of seal it up and I probably should address the elephant in the room yes trump did win indiana first but i got a question where are all the black people that voted for obama in 08 because don't forget obama won indiana in 08 but then all those black people disappeared and that was huge because before that it had been like 1964 or something when a last democrat won so to my indiana folks that listening or will listen what are black people that voted for Obama? Because we need you back because we didn't gun uh, Romney and Trump twice and we got to do better. But anyway, with the election, um, looks like it's going to be Biden. What do you see both nationally and, and locally where you are, the impact on this election on education? And anybody can start because we're kind to make this an open discussion.
4: OK, well, I'll start first because I am very happy that. It's looking like Biden is going to win because if for college cost, um, there's a really need to look at tuition for uh, students to make it affordable. Where I teach at the state of New York, they do have a program for under um, for low-income families where they get tuition um, for four years. It's called the Excelsior um, Scholarship, and of course, they meet the, the criteria. But the, uh, the biggest thing is loans and that the fact that um, the house is now blue, which is a good thing because there's an, uh, there was a, where, you know, student loans were looked to be privatized. Um, when you look at loan forgiveness, um, some of these things that were really in the hanging in the balance of being lost for our students, it's hard enough now for students to afford college and walk away with these loans but it's just that there was a threat of all of um obama's um work being um, taken away when it comes to loans and tuition and uh, programs to help students to be successful. So um, I'm looking forward to it this, this night, this week to hurry up and be over so that we can really look at how we can make our schools um, better because education for the last 30 years has been a commodity. I wanted to give back to education. Um, this whole role of why we don't have retention is because of it become uh, a commodity. It's all about putting students in in seats and um, not always supporting these students to be successful.
0: So I'm going to jump in and I'm just going to name off a couple of things and I'm not going to elaborate. The first thing I'm happy about that Biden's going to win is we can get Bessie ass about that office. That's my first thing. <laughs> the second thing is we're going to have to keep pushing on Biden because if you read Biden's plan, he talked about tripling Title I funding. So mm-hmm. make sure that we're getting more money into Title I schools. So that's the second thing I really want to look at as well. Um, but the thing that I'm most worried about with Biden going into office, Biden has not shown that he's um, an advocate for school choice. So I think that we're going to take some step back in that area. So there are some pros and cons, but I think with Bessie getting her ass out of office, that's the biggest win of the night. I'm out.
5: <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'll go next. I agree with both of you, um, especially in regards to when you're talking about people taking out loans, and um, especially as educators and different laws regards uh, regarding loan forgiveness. You know, you pay a lot of money and um, to get your education, and actually, North Carolina is with the third lowest paying state for educators in across the country. So they're not even making enough to pay back these loans. And I would really like for the government to kind of revisit that and some of the loan forgiveness programs. Um, being in a charter school locally, I'm I'm excited about some of the people who won because that means that we're gonna maintain our funding um, because we're talking about cutting funding for our charter schools, and especially for our special education populations, which is yes, you know, that's not where we need to be cutting funds. Um, and I'm interested to see on my end in this particular state how we're going to do some, uh, we talked about it a little bit early, some of the attendance acts. So a couple of years ago, they took away the compulsory attendance act where you can't make kids come to school where in the past, you know, you miss a certain amount of days. We can take certain actions. We can hold parents accountable. And we all know that academic directly correlates with attendance with the majority of the time. So I'd be very interested to just kind of see how they're going to take a, a different look or a step back and re-implement some of those things that were taken away that allow us to 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 really kind of put interventions in place to make our kids successful.
3: Um, I definitely agree with getting Betsy out of the office. I think we have this conversation about like Defunding the police and what that means, but I'm like, you guys have been defunding education for how long, and like nobody is speaking on that. And so I hope in that that we start actually think looking into like what do schools need and what does that funding look like um, for these schools to actually be able to serve students in the best way. Because um, right now I do think it's like everybody's fighting for a headcount, everybody's fighting for a headcount, and it's it's. It's not necessarily like we're doing what's best for kids. It's like, where is it? Like, I need this, this headcount to pay for this teacher. I need this headcount to pay for this, this specials, or I need this headcount to pay for something instead of thinking about, okay, like what do our kids need? Um, and how can we boost the funding? So funding is like first getting Betsy DeVos ass out. And then funding is something that I'm looking, um, into in the more like near term, I'm looking into like what what another CARES Act or whatever they want to call it, HEROES Act looks like for education. Um, Because a lot of our schools, especially schools that serve demographic of students that we all work in, um, depend on that money right now. Um, And so it's like, if we don't get any more, what is that going to look like for staffing for next year? What is that going to look like for um, services for students next year? And so that's something that I am very anxious about um especially like looking into planning for next year but i just hope that a biden comes through with the come through and b when he does that like we truly look at education for what it is and we truly like value our educators because there would be no other job if it wasn't for somebody teaching you how to do it um and doctors get paid all this money lawyers get paid all this money but the teachers that taught them the skills that they needed in order to do that um are not they're getting marginally like lowered pay and so i hope that not only in funding schools but looking at ways like how can we increase teacher pay um, because our teachers are frontline workers day in and day out and they should be compensated for such
1: I'll, I'll finish it up and I'll, I'll, I'll keep mine brief, but uh, I, I think the most important thing to come out of this election and, uh, you know, I, I hope the results turn out with, uh, with, with Biden winning, but um, had a conversation with a teacher yesterday and she brought up uh, one of her students mentioned that, um, that she was afraid. Mm. And, you know, we, I think that's the bottom line is taking care of our students and their social emotional needs. And when they Can turn on the tv and they can hear their president devalue them and you know make them afraid because you know in in california you know we've got a lot of of families that are immigrants and that are undocumented and those types of things and when they feel that coming to school they're not safe being in their community they are not safe how are they going to learn And, and i think that um Having a new uh, president in office is going to change that tone, change that climate. And you all talked about the policies, but I, I just feel, well, feel like that the way that you communicate, the way that you comport yourself uh, as the leader of the of the free world, if you will, uh, is, is so important. And our young people need need that positive example.
2: Absolutely. All right. So we're, we're at the at the, the, the hour mark. So we always do the show. We close it with final thoughts. Uh, we'll do a loop around doc. I'm gonna have you end it since you started, it was just show, so you're gonna end it. So I'll go sure ahead. You sure you want to do
1: that? You sure you want to do that?
2: <laughs> well, listen, uh, Unk, Unk on the mute, I can just cut us off if you get too out of control. So Unk, if you if it gets goes too far, just hit end broadcast. But my final thoughts, um, first, I, I appreciate uh, you ladies, you women coming out, sharing your knowledge, knowledge being on with us, um, and talking about your organization, talking about. Uh, your leadership path and things like that. We just really appreciate it. This is a show that we've always wanted to do, uh, Doc, for putting us together. Appreciate you. Ball, happy birthday again, brother. But, uh, man, th- th- my final thoughts for you, man, I, I want to make sure you get your flowers on this one, dog, man. I, I-, I appreciate you putting us together, man, um, and-, and having the vision. I appreciate all that you do um, on-, on Twitter, man, and everything you do with the hands, man. It's inspiring for me as I hope one day to sit in the same seat that you sit in brother. So I want to make sure, man, you get your flowers, man. Unk, I, I definitely appreciate you. And, uh, I had to clap back on somebody who tried to reply on me today. So they got that smoke. Uh, and if you, if you don't follow uncle Twitter, you should follow him because we had a conversation this weekend about people trying to be funny when they reply off and then switch it to reply when you get handled with. So, uh, unk, just appreciate you brother, man. <laughs> and, uh, doc, man, great show. Ball, Happy birthday. Ladies. Appreciate you. Uh, Bob, i go to you next, man. Final thoughts.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm just very appreciative of our guests, uh, fellas. I really enjoy learning about you, but it has been a breath of fresh air to have these wonderful women uh, join us tonight and just share a little bit about their story and their experience and their leaders and education. So I just want to shout you all out. Thank you so much, um, you know, for 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 giving us a little bit uh, of inspiration and a lot of inspiration. And uh, you know, just my th- final thoughts is I'm, I'm just thankful to be here and thankful to be doing this work and supporting our kids and our communities,
2: Watson. What's your final thoughts? Give us some 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 uh, some pearls to close us out. <laughs>
3: um, my final thought on this is, i um, I'm just excited that we all got to come together and have this conversation um, because I don't think that we necessarily get that opportunity. Um, and then I will leave with just saying, and just in the work that we do, make sure that you love your babies as much as you love yourself and you fight for them as much as you would fight for yourself because we are their voice right now when they don't have a voice or they don't necessarily know how to use their voice. So not only do we need to teach them how to do that, but we need to do that for them as well.
2: Doc, final thoughts for you, Dr. Franklin.
4: Okay, so I would like to certainly um, thank you all and commend you all for the work that you do um, for your students, your community and um, your families. But I wanna talk about voice too. I want you all to think about not only the voice of your students, but for your community and for education as a whole and become advocates, not only locally, but state level and also federal. Cause that's where our voices
2: need to be heard love it and uh, please get your hand ready because I feel like we about to get a whole routine with this closing so just be like we- <laughs> <laughs> I- are going to keep She's it so- simple I know you will I'm talking about the other one after you is what I'm worried about
5: <laughs> no um I want to thank you guys uh, for kind of bringing everybody together. It's really nice to have real great intellectual conversation with people who, you know, see things, different perspective, but same perspective. And just to kind of hear how people think differently about different things, but it's all solid information. Um, And the one thing I will leave you with is, you know, I'm all about advocating for our students, our babies. Um, But one thing I've learned in this leadership role that it's just the students aren't just my babies at this point. So my, my teachers are now my students as well. So continue to pour into your teachers and teach them what the expectation and lead by example because they will follow.
0: And I'm actually keep it real classy as we close out the show. A uh, couple things, though, I do I do want to you know follow up on Dave. You know, like I said, Unk has been an amazing mentor. Uh, I'm glad to have been able to sit in his presence um, and just have him look out for me in several different ways. So thank you Unk, for all that you've done. Um, it goes without um, saying we thank you, ladies, for coming on and really inspiring us um, and giving us those words of wisdom that each one of you have shared with us tonight. I truly, truly appreciate it uh and the last thing i just want to say about this whole election thing because this is far from over you know there still has to be a transfer of power um so please you know your voice is still needed at this time and one of the quotes that i always um that i I guess is my quote now because it's on the back of shirts and things like that is that your most your most powerful tool you always have is your voice and never let nobody take your tool from you so with that you have been listening to episode nine of the aos podcast go get your popcorn ready because in about an hour Libations with us is going in. So yes, make sure you get your platform ready. Tune in. Thank you. Make sure you share the show. Go like it. Apple Podcast hit us up. We will see y'all in two weeks. We out. Go bob yes.
4: Who you with?